Let's bow once more for a word of prayer this morning. Forever. Uh, Lord, uh, I think sometimes we forget because of how temporal our lives are and how we are, uh, you know, a slave to time, uh, that you are eternal. Uh, Now, one day, uh, through faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, we will uh, be able to experience eternal life. And Lord, uh, what an amazing thought to think uh, of the fact that this life is not even a drop in the bucket of eternity. Uh, And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to um, focus our minds, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word this morning, uh, and that your spirit would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we have the privilege of uh, continuing in our study in the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be in verse 4, so I encourage you to open there, but uh, also to be ready to uh, be jumping around to different texts as we take a look at uh, a few of the phrases here in verse 4. Uh, and the first thing I would like to take a look at uh, in verse 4, uh, which I will reread to you, uh, is even as he chose us in him, which is Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so the uh, first thing we're going to take a look at is those two words, in him. Uh, And the question I want to pose as we start out our time this morning is, why does it need to be in Jesus? Have you ever thought about that before? Why does God choose us in Jesus? Why is salvation in Jesus? Well, I'm going to build a case scripturally for you today. Uh, And matter of fact, I've got five things here just in relation to in him for you to see scripturally why salvation and why God chose us in Jesus and why it needs to be him and why it cannot be us. Uh, And so the first thing takes us to Matthew chapter one, verse 23. Uh, And it says there, uh, oops, I guess that was one hand. Here we go. Uh, And this is that only Jesus is the God-man. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We also know from the Gospel of John, verse verse 14 of chapter 1, that the word, or Jesus, became flesh. And so the first thing that you need to understand is, you know, why would it be? that God would have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh? Why would the God who is eternal above all need to do such a thing? Well, that's because Jesus is the only way of salvation, and that God is the one who established what salvation would be, because salvation belongs to God. Second is that only Jesus can be our substitute. It takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And there are six statements I'd like to say in relation to this verse for you to better understand that only Jesus can be our substitute. And particularly when it says, For our sake he made him, made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. And the first is is that Jesus did not actually become sin itself. Because if Jesus had become sin itself, he would no longer be the sinless son of God. 
Second is that Jesus did not become a sinner. We know that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish. That as Jesus took on human flesh, he still was 100% God. The God who is holy, holy, holy. Third, Jesus was not guilty of actual sin. Because he did not, he himself, in any way, shape, or form... And even if you look as he came into the temple and drove out those that were misusing the temple, that was a righteous anger. An anger that uh, was rightfully and justly put forth because they were misusing the temple. But Jesus was not guilty of actual sin because he never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He was the perfect sacrifice. And then three to the positive side of that. So Jesus did not actually become sin itself. Jesus did not become a sinner. And Jesus did not or uh, was not guilty of actual sin. The positive side of each one of those is that Jesus, although completely sinless, was treated as if he was sinful. And we know that because we have the account of his crucifixion. He died a sinner's death. The most heinous thing that the Romans could come up with. That was not only as painful as could be, particularly even leading up to what Jesus went through before being put on the cross itself, but also the way in which the person died. And a shameful death because they were hung for all to see. I guess this would be fifth because it's six things. So Jesus, although completely holy, was regarded as guilty of sin. And lastly, Jesus was our representative and our substitute. And so you see, as Jesus uh, did not actually become sin itself, that he did not become a sinner and was not guilty of actual sin, he was treated and regarded because he became our representative. He took our sin upon himself on that cross. He was our substitute. Third, only by Jesus' wounds... Can we be healed? Oh, I'm sorry. I had slides for each one of those, and I completely forgot this morning. There we go. Takes us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Because only Jesus, the sinless Son of God, the one who was treated as if he was sinful, was regarded as guilty of sin, was our substitute. And it was only by the shedding of blood and only by the shedding of holy, pure blood that we can be healed. That's why by his wound we have been healed. Fourth, only Jesus, the slain Lamb of God, can take away the sin. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day he, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus, that Lamb of God, that precious, pure Lamb of God, is the only one who can take sin away. He is the only one who can make payment for sin. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, 
everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the lamb that was slain. See, Jesus is that slain lamb. And it is only through him that we can experience salvation. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we may do to, you know, perfect these human, frail, finite bodies, we'll never measure up because the scripture says we all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus did not. Because Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is our substitute. And by Jesus' wounds we are healed. And Jesus is the only one who can take away sin. And lastly, number five, only Jesus, the one who is preeminent in everything, can reconcile us to the Father. It's a beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that word firstborn actually means preeminent, above all, because he is the Son of God. And, and, and Paul goes on to explain exactly what he is preeminent in and why he is preeminent. It says in verse 16, For by him all the things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in other words, without Jesus, without God, everything would fall apart. No matter how much you try to hold it all together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to, what? Reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. His cross. See, that's why Jesus is preeminent above all. That is why Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. That is why Jesus is the only one who can save, and that is why the Father chose us in Jesus, because nothing else would work. Nothing else would measure up. Only Jesus. Well, let's continue on in the text, because there's uh, two more phrases I want to look at this morning uh, as we continue. Uh, and that is that the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. See, the spiritual blessing of salvation that we enjoy when we put our faith and trust in Christ alone happened before the foundation of the world. Now, this is where the eternal comes in contact with the finite. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the fact that the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. How on earth is that even possible? Well, see, the thing is, is that we look at it through a lens of the finite. We look at it through the lens of how we exist each and every day. The fact that there is a clock that counts down. Okay, not only to the day in which we breathe our last, but as you're waiting for that last few minutes of Friday to burn out at work so that you can enjoy the weekend, you know, 
there's, there's many things that we, we look at, but the thing is, is that what happens is, is a lot of times we will put God in a box. We'll put God in the box of what we know and forget that God is infinite, that he is eternal. And, and catch this, because the spiritual blessing of salvation happens before the foundation of the world. So that's before any created being had the opportunity to be something or to do something. Now, what does that automatically do as you think about that a little bit more deeply? Well, it completely removes works from the picture altogether. Because if, before I had the opportunity to be something, before my mother and father named me William Martin Diggins, before I even had the opportunity to do one good thing, which we know that even our good works are like filthy rags, that Jesus would be my Savior. That God the Father chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knew I would put my faith and trust in Christ even before he created anything. And the thing is, is that, you know, wrapping our minds around this is oftentimes difficult because we like power, we like control, we like to be the, the authors of our destiny. And we don't like the fact that there's something that God knows about us that we don't even know about ourselves. See, this glorious salvation comes from outside of us. And, you know, before we even have the opportunity to be something or to do something, Paul went on to clarify this in very beautiful language in Ephesians chapter 2, a little bit later in our text, uh, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Plain and simple. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Because the moment that man has the opportunity, guess what? Do you like to take credit for things you do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's very, very affirmative in that. You know, it doesn't mean that we don't have a, a, a part in salvation. We're not robots. But the thing is, we have to understand that we have to look at this through the eyes of the eternal God of all. Because the moment that God does not know something, he ceases to be God. Because there's things I don't know. But I'm certainly not God. I wouldn't even pr propose that. But see, what this tells us is, is as we think about the fact that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, tells me three things. One is salvation is not random. Two, salvation is not erratic. Three, salvation is not inconsistent. You know what it is? It tells us in verse 5. It is according to the purpose of whose will? His. And that's what we need to remember, that salvation belongs to God. And then when we remember that, that makes it all the more beautiful that he chose us as his ambassadors to communicate the good news of the gospel for others that God chose before the foundation of the world to save in his sinless son, whom he sent to die on a cross but not to be laid in that grave forever. Instead, he rose him from the dead to be the firstborn um, from the dead, as we read in Colossians chapter 1. 
See, there is a divine design unfolding within time. Because you have to think of it this way. You know, God is everywhere, but a God is above time because he is in eternity. And God has no beginning and end. He is the first and the last. But he is eternal. Salvation shows the, us the point at which God's sovereignty, which is he, him being over all, answering to none, as I gave you the definition last Sunday, and omniscience coming together. And just to review a little bit, because, you know, and this is an important thing for us to understand the attributes of God, to know who God is. Because this will help us see through his eyes how everything is. Because everything that is, is based in who God is. Apart from man's play in bringing sin into the world. But God had a plan even for man messing up and choosing to sin and disobey the eternal God of all. So omniscience is the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. I just love it when I remember the things that I need to remember, let alone knowing everything. And God, forgive me when I forget the things that I should not forget. But the thing is, is we can't think of it that way. Yes, we forget. And the older you get, it it seems like you've forgotten more than you remember. But see, that's not God. There is nothing in all of creation from beginning to end, things yet to even come, let alone everything that is eternal that God has forgotten. He, He knows everything. He knows your random thoughts. He knows the thoughts of those that are sitting here this morning tuning Pastor Bill out and thinking about what I got to do here at 11 o'clock this morning. He knows those thoughts. He knows the thoughts when we can't see the hand in front of our face, when it's pitch black dark, when we try and hide something in the, the recesses for others not to see. Guess what? God knows it all fully. Let me give you some scriptures to ponder, and you can turn there if you'd like, in relation to God's omniscience. 1 John 3.20 says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows mostly everything. No. It says God knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. And all man is doing is discovering those things that God already knows because he created it all. It's his, and he's the one who sustains it. Matter of fact, we read that in Colossians 1. All things hold together because of God. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Even something as what we would consider as random as that. Guess what? God knows. And when you comb your hair in the morning, guess what? God doesn't need to struggle to know that you've got four less hairs than you did yesterday. And I've had a lot less than four hairs for quite some time. Amen, brother. Amen, that's right. 
So, Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11. And, and this passage here brings both God's sovereignty and his omni- omniscience together in these few verses. It says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, uh, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. Does that sound like a God that is limited in any way? No, because he is the God that is eternal. He is above all things. He is sovereign over all and he knows everything. And the thing, the thing that, that brings comfort, but also a, uh, a moment of well, to some extent, fear because of the things I may think or do or say at any given moment is that if God knows everything, then that gives him the right to be the just judge because there is no nuance, no, no unknown fact or you know premise that is outside of God's knowledge. And so that makes him the perfect judge. And his holiness brings all of that together so that he can judge justly and rightly. One more verse, Psalm 139, verses 4 to 6. And this one just, this will boggle your mind and tie it up in knots for a little while. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. See, that's the God that through his son, Jesus Christ, we have a personal relationship with. Ponder that for a moment. The God who is sovereign, the God who is omniscient, the God who knows your word that you're going to speak on your tongue even before you know what that word is. That's because God knows everything. See, for God to be sovereign over all his creation, he has to be all-knowing. In order for him to answer to none, for him to not have a question in his mind, oh, what do I do next? Which I can say at any given time of any given week. For God to be sovereign over all his creation, he has to be all-knowing. And consider this. God has known us from eternity. We know that in Ephesians 1.4, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, God knew when we would be born. I didn't. Matter of fact, before, I don't even remember the doctor smacking me on the rear end. My first thoughts, I... You know, supposedly I drove all the way to the Grand Canyon with my parents, you know, when my dad was in the military and almost ran off the Grand Canyon because it was before they had all the barricades up to keep you from running off. Fortunately, my dad was faster than I was. But God knew all our sin even before there was one committed. He has to know. He knows every wandering thought. He knows every hurtful word 
but he still sent his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is love, because God is gracious, because God is good. And he did this and set this, this, you know, if you want to call it plan, into play before the very foundation of the world, before anyone was even created, before anyone had the opportunity in time to sin. What a glorious God. Because, you know, if given to us and we, we knew everything, we might just say, it's not worth it. See, I'm not God. I'm not all God is. There's things that I share that, you know, in relation to my new life in Christ that give me a glimpse into who God is. But I'll tell you what, when my eyes are, are able to see my Savior for the very first time, I can't imagine the thoughts that will flow through a head that had thoughts of rebellion against him at any given moment. Because it'll be removed. He will be the center of all. God knows when we will die. Because remember, in him all things hold together. And we don't know. It could be an hour from now, ten years. I know it won't be a hundred, so stop wishing. Those, those lengths of days are no longer... And finally, God knows where we will spend eternity. Either enjoying eternal life with him in heaven or eternal separation and damnation in hell for eternity. Two other thoughts as we close. Because the Father chose us before the foundation of the world So God knew before the foundation of the world that his son would shed his precious blood. And we can find this out in 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 18, says, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, so you can't buy your way into heaven, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Verse 20, he was foreknew, Jesus was foreknew before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So in other words, Jesus became the God-man. He took on flesh, he walked amongst us. And so what was known in the Godhead before the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ, God's sinless son, would offer himself as that once-for-all sacrifice to give his life for you, who through him are believers in God, verse 21, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in who? God. Not in your ability to keep it, because salvation does not belong to you. Salvation is God's. He is the author of it. And he will see it all the way until the end. Because what God has purchased with his sinless son's blood, God gets. He loses none. No one can pluck them out of the Father's hand. And finally, those whom God has saved through his son Jesus will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. So even the kingdom itself. 
before the foundation of the world. So before anything was created, before in the beginning, God. See, God existed prior to in the beginning, God. Because God is eternal. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, God's got it all figured out because he is the eternal God who is sovereign over all, who has all knowledge. And if he has spoken it, guess what? There is no one, nothing created that can stop it. Remember, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. That's why it is wonderful that salvation belongs to God and that he in his wisdom provided the perfect sacrifice. Even as he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Isn't salvation wonderful? Isn't salvation by God's grace alone? Salvation is a gift to us, a gift that had its foundation before the foundation of the world. So I trust today that you know Jesus Christ, because apart from him, you will be one of those goats that will be separated from God, spending eternity in hell as just judgment from the just judge that knows everything. A penalty that you and I and everyone ever created deserves because we have chosen to disobey. But apart from God's grace and his great plan of salvation that has its roots all the way back to when there was only God. So I trust that you know Jesus Christ today and if you don't, I encourage you to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you that you do know everything. May that be a comfort but also a caution to us today because There are things that we still think, things that will come out of our mouths and over, uh, uh, well, through our tongues that you already know we're going to say. And so, Lord, I ask through the power of your spirit, which is in each and every believer when they put their faith and trust in Christ, that he would guide us, that he would fill us with his fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control so that we may live more like you, that we would live as those that are uh, sons and daughters that have been bought with the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.